0: Every American citizen must have an equal right to vote.
1: Administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that.
0: Welcome to High Turnout, Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the county clerk in Boone County, Missouri. And with me is my co-host.
1: Eric Fay, director of elections in St. Louis County, Missouri.
0: And today we're really excited to talk to Sean Green. He lives in Italy and is a consultant for elections, especially for uh, voters that are living overseas. So we're going to be talking about challenges that voters overseas face, what local election authorities can do to better serve that constituency. So, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here and talk about Militant Herbaceous Voters.
0: So, the first question that we always ask is How did you get working in elections in the first place?
2: Gosh, about I'd say more than 20 years ago now, after um, I finished my uh, graduate school in, in Washington, DC, in international affairs, which is that's clearly not domestic elections, but I'd, I'd been interested in had done political science. In college, after I did a year of, of a gig international sort of education, I found I wasn't really enjoying it that much. And an opportunity came up for a small little think tank in Washington, D.C., which is no longer around, called the Committee for the Study of the American Electorate, which studied voter turnout in the U.S. It was a two-person office, and this was 97, 98. So yeah, I was basically in an office sort of crunching numbers and thinking about why turnout was maybe low in the US or was it, how do you best measure it? So that sort of got me into sort of that question, which isn't quite election administration, but after that gig, which ended, I left in about 2002, sort of organizations jumped in after the 2000 election to think about other ways to improve election administration. The Pew Charitable Trusts based in Philadelphia started funding a place called electionline.org, And uh, I joined election line about a year or so in as an everything. It was fun. We were a five, six person shop. So I got to do research. I got to pretend to be a reporter and write newsletters, which was great because I hadn't done it before and a great way of learning is doing. And it really got to meet some really interesting people in the field. And we just would put out sort of research about what is a provisional ballot? What are states doing about provisional ballots? Things like that. So after that, I got sort of, sucked into the world of Pew Charitable Trusts, Pew brought election line uh, in-house as they say, and then actually started their own elections team to actually think about advocating and getting involved in some election administration issues more seriously. So I joined that team in 2007 and 2008 and just was hooked on election administration, was there until 2016 when I went to the election assistance commission and was there for about two years directing research and here I am now in Italy after my wife got a job here. So I figured this is a um, great opportunity. And I've continued doing some consulting, all election related. So I, election administration, I, gosh, I've now been 20 plus years of something peripherally or more directly involved. And I love it. It never gets old. It's always changing, as you know very well. So it's just a continuing process. And, and since I got to Italy, I got to work for the Federal Voting Assistance Program to help military and overseas voters as well.
0: With all of the work that you did before you moved to Italy, was there anything that surprised you that you thought that you knew that local election authorities were doing because the law said that they were supposed to and now you're seeing that that might not necessarily be the case? I think one of the
2: things i discovered, especially since a lot of the work I was doing at Pew was sort of more of the macro level, so high level. Well, I knew a lot about the weeds, I wasn't in the weeds, and I certainly wasn't running elections. But after doing the work with FVAP, where I was actually uh, working with voters more one-on-one and getting more direct voter experience, I think one thing that I learned was, one of the challenges I heard from overseas voters is they, they reach out to the local election office, just wouldn't hear back, right? And they wouldn't hear back for a day, for a week, sometimes never. It was definitely not always the case. It really, just varies, and of course, local election officials running up to an election in any size office, but smaller offices are, are are pushed to capacity, right? So you can sort of see how it happens. I just never really felt it that directly when I was dealing with with overseas voters here who would come to me and say, you know, I've reached out to my election office and I just haven't heard back. I mean, really, the best advice we would give, I, I would give them is, you know, keep trying, keep trying. So I was just more surprised sometimes to hear that. In some places, things weren't as responsive, and that frustration you could hear from the voters. I think in most cases, those those voters were satisfied at some point, but just that showing that, you know, customer service, of course, is important, and that can be hard to deliver when you're under-resourced, understaffed, or if you're a place that doesn't have a lot of experience with military and overseas voters, just don't have many of those voters, right? That can be challenging, too. There are many places that have zero military overseas voters, and there are some that have one or two, and that. Could be new, or the places that have a lot. It can just be clearly a question of volume. Uh, hard to get back to those people. So just hearing that more directly from from the voter side, that was that was new to me. It's sort of it's different from doing the macro level of policy and then actually talking to voters, sort of one on one, and hearing their experiences.
1: I remember relatively early in my time as director a voter from uh, who's overseas i think on, on a pacific island i want to say maybe fiji or something like that got a message to us through a relative that said they were trying to reach out and they couldn't get a hold of us well f- come to find out that our spam blocker on our, our email was blocking like overseas email addresses you know she she had tried to call but couldn't get through to anybody and so i then i found out like i couldn't use my phone in the office to call Fiji, like it was against our policy or whatever. So I waited till some kind of crazy hour in the morning and I called her on my cell phone and we worked it all out and got her what she needed. But it's not always intuitive or easy for a local election administrator to reach back out to somebody who is in a, a relatively remote place. So your example just now kind of jogged my memory and thought, oh, yeah, it's it's not always it's not always easy.
2: No, in fact, Eric. yeah, I, I actually heard similar stories from uh, several people here, where it did turn out that either their emails were being blocked, or sometimes there are some websites that won't let you access voter information from overseas for reasons of security and cybersecurity. And people will then have to get sort of a VPN. And they figured out that can just be it's those extra levels of, you know, paying for a VPN or doing this just to get access to information. Because of cybersecurity and other challenges that come when web addresses are pinged from overseas, right? And I think different jurisdictions, different states have sort of different approaches and different levels of comfort about that. So, yeah, you always sort of hear of of voters and election officials of finding creative workarounds because they're trying to figure out a way to assist these voters. But if you can't get in touch with them or you have to get really creative they'll do it. It just makes it those little things can add up, especially leading up to an election day when there's a lot going on for election officials.
0: Do you get the sense that those stories make it to policymakers that are deciding about those issues? Because there's all the talk about, well, if we can do more virtual communication and we can do more things that get people ballots without having to use the mail... But is that do you think these stories are making it to those policymakers too that it's not just a cure-all to say well it's okay if we just do email then everything's solved It's clearly not.
2: You know so I worked for FAP and Department of Defense. I no longer work for them uh, and I, I don't speak for them, but I know that you know FAP every couple of years puts out a congressional report and they they do try to float these issues for now this is for Congress right this is for the US Congress when it comes to sort of, local level folks who are thinking about state level policies or local folks thinking about how they administer their websites, right? Um, I, I don't know if those stories are getting back to them. And I, and I certainly don't know if the anecdotes we're talking about are getting quantified, but it sounds like, right, I mean, it, it could be an issue. And, and those when we want to jump ahead to rising noted, doing virtual this and virtual that if you want to do those things, there's probably a number of steps that have to be thought about before that.
1: So you were in Italy during its onset and through all the elections in 2020. I can only assume that made things more difficult. But can you tell people from your firsthand experience in what ways, if at all, did it make voting more difficult for people overseas?
2: Yeah, and I, I'll talk a little bit about the, the program I was working on was a was a pilot program from FAP. was the first time they've tried this, and it was myself in Italy and two other part-time FAP employees, one in Japan and one in the UK. And it's this idea of if there was actually uh, American citizens on the ground overseas, could they help more voters in country, in person? So when this pilot project was conceived, it was before COVID, right? So the idea was I would be, um, you know, very hard gig traveling across Italy, going to places with sort of high pockets of Overseas civilians, and there's four major military bases in Italy, um, sort of north and a couple in the south, and visiting those places and talking to people in person, providing assistance, doing presentations. Clearly, COVID threw that all off, like for everybody else. So it became, from the point of view of my job, and I'll also talk about clearly more importantly, from the point of view of people voting, including myself, that became more challenging, but you just sort of adopted and became more virtual. Um, And I I hooked up with expat organizations here. We're doing Facebook Lives and other sort of Zoom events and trying to. I worked directly with US Embassy here because they they have folks who are dedicated every election cycle to the voting process. So my goal was to help and support them as well. And they really liked having an extra person to help with voting. I did luckily get to do some in-person when the first spike went down of coronavirus. And there was a, there was a month or two here last summer, August, September, where I could travel a bit and do some in-person events, which was really helpful because I got to go in person to um, a military base up North. Um, I got to go in person to a couple of universities where actually American students were still coming because a lot of American students were not coming in the fall, but there was a few that were. So going in person, it just the the Zoom meetings and that is great. In person, I found was much better because just the back and forth and the follow up you could have with people because there's always follow up questions, um, and that's just harder to do on a Zoom call with you know 50 people. Everyone has an individual question. Everyone has a particular situation. As you know, every state has sort of different rules um, about what it comes to. There are some general themes for military overseas voting, but right, every state has how I can return my ballot, how I do my SPCA, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Those in-person events were, I, I found, the most helpful and certainly most enjoyable. I'd say what I heard most from voters, what was there was just a lot of concern. There's already concern about if you have to mail your ballot back. And there is about 30 states, right, I think, give or take, where you can get your ballot back electronically if you mail know to an RVC's voter, which, of course, is a little controversial, but it is a thing that 30 states allow. And then there's 20 states that don't allow. You generally have to get it back by mail, maybe by fax. Fax has its own challenges, of course. So those folks, and there's some of those are some big states too, some populous states uh, with a high volume of military service, they were understandably as, as usual, but just more so because of COVID and what they were hearing about the postal service, they were very concerned, especially if they were citizens who were gonna have to put it in the time postal system and then get to the American Post, they knew it was gonna take some time. So you know, people who lived in areas where there was an embassy or a consulate, they were great about saying, you can come to, we have, we'll have have essentially drop boxes outside that will be monitored by security all day long, and you can drop it off and it'll go in the diplomatic post office, right? So again, that will take some time, but it will cut some time off and will get you out of the Italian mail system. So, you know, but I, just the level of anxiety I heard from voters, you know, I haven't, again, this is sort of the first time working in person, It was just a very intense election cycle, as you all know. And then I think the other thing I learned was states and localities really vary in how people uh, can track their ballots. And that's something that made people anxious as well, right? So even me for myself, I'm a voter from Washington, DC. I did an experiment in the primary. I voted, uh, I sent my email back. I sent by email, email attachment. Very basic signing saying, I understand my vote may no longer be secret, Um, But also I didn't get verification about anything about that till after the election. Same during the general election. I put my ballot in the mail immediately, like late September, put it in the diplomatic post office. I would kept on checking the DC website. I didn't actually hear about my status till about the week after the election. Everything was fine. It told me it got there in early October. It's just that, that lack of actually knowing in not real time, but close to real time. But it's something I've learned that I think, and I don't know a lot about State ballot tracking systems, but it, it, they seem to vary. And it seems that some people weren't getting that real time experience. And I know that added to some anxiety for people as well, because for overseas citizens, they would get concerned and they would actually then say, you know what, I should send my backup out, my federal right and absentee ballot, because I just don't know what happened, um, which is fine. You know, it would be great. And I, and I think there is room for improvement on those ballot tracking systems. Because it seems that most states most states provide something like that. More and more states are doing that but I know it can be a challenge about, you know, how states process those in real time and how that information gets to the voter.
1: That's interesting you bring up the FWAB. I really thought last year there would be an influx of, of those because people would be anxious for the very reasons you just outlined and would go ahead at, you know, right at the outset, once there were candidates and so forth, they'd fill out the FOB and send it in. We really did not see an abnormal amount last year. And I guess there there wasn't a concerted effort to encourage people to do that. Yeah. I mean, did you, did you see
2: that differently anywhere? You know, I mean, no, but it's exactly as described, Eric. I think some people, the second they could cast their ballot, they weren't going to wait for the actual ballot they requested to come in the mail, which is, it's fine. We, we sort of, you know, when I was at FF, we sort of said people, you know, Thirty days out, or a little bit less, then you might want to start thinking about it. But clearly, we always also tell people if you can check your ballot status, contact your local election office, maybe get some information first if you can. But um, yeah, a few folks I heard anecdotally jumped right to the flop They just jumped right to that. They could populate their candidate list and went for it. But I mean, and so part of it, I think, is an education issue. There are certainly overseas citizens I met who, uh, totally understandably, no idea what a flog is. Right? That is. That is not something that, unless there are folks who've lived overseas for years, but even some of them, right? So it's like all our voters. You have frequent voters, infrequent voters, people with different levels of knowledge. So there's a little bit of explaining about that, right? Saying, nope, it's not voting twice. It's actually a backup. and Only one will be counted. That's law. That's, that's procedures that local election officials follow. It is just a backup. So I think, I don't know if some people maybe just, they sort of took that leap of faith, didn't know about the FWAB. That's interesting. I haven't looked. I know I know the election administration voting survey just came out for 2020 and I haven't looked at it yet. But I, 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 I that's interesting that the flops didn't uh, tick up because, yes, like you. I mean, the anxiety levels, at least anecdotally, from what I heard, were were high. But interesting, it didn't totally play out in an increase in sort of a, a big spike in flops.
1: I know during the pandemic, there may have been a, a more robust male process and uh, ballot return process for members of the military because they're, they're at a base they're they're in some installation somewhere it's just there, there are these voting assistance officers and so forth so it's just a little more organized but if you're just a overseas civilian kind of out there doing your thing in many cases last year in 2020 it was more difficult and at least that's what i've heard and i was wondering if that was your experience as well
2: I, it was it was again you know in Italy there is the embassy and then three consulates but of course Italy is a big country so not everyone lives near Rome or Florence or Naples or Milan and those folks all did great work and there were actually even ways you know we heard of people that lived an hour or two outside of those places where they could go they would bring their ballots in person but not everyone can do that not everyone can afford to do that everyone has the time to do that It's similar in those challenges for for folks, for domestic voters as well, just more extreme, right? What we would tell people if they're living, and there there are a lot of expats who've been here for a while, they might live sort of almost in our equivalent of the middle of nowhere, right? They've lived here a long time. They they like living in a small town. It's sort of close to, to hardly anything. There aren't many Americans there, right? So they're in a place where what we would do is encourage those people to request their ballots as soon as possible, to get their their federal postcard application request, and make sure they're registered. You know, we were telling people to do this over the summer, right? Make sure they've done that. Um, and the second they get, you know, we would we would recommend people, you know, get their ballots sent to them electronically, right? So you could cut out that time. Which now every state offers that possibility. And then you know, the second you get it back, if you can have to put it back in the mail, if that's your option, just to you know, and in this case, it was around. September 19th, September 20th, I think that the first sort of military overseas ballots were going out to people. That's around when I got mine from DC, the 45 days out. We encourage people to turn that around as soon as possible, especially if you're going to put it in the local mail system. So, first of all, you're going to have to pay for that, right? As opposed to on, on a military base, and you've got the military postal agency, you're putting it into an American mail system on a base. Uh, you're not doing that at all if you're an overseas civilian. So, I think for those folks, and we always took folks toward the end, There's no recommendations about delivery services like DHL and Federal Express, but we always let people know that that's an option, right? You can use uh, express delivery services. The challenge here, of course, is that costs money too, right? You know, I know some of those big ones, they actually had some discounts for voting in certain countries. Still going to cost you here maybe 25, 30 euro. Um, That's, you know, that's something to, to send your ballot back. You know, the pluses are it has tracking systems. You know, the challenge can be in some states. It's not going to have a postmark on it necessarily, right? So there's pluses and minuses. Again, we didn't make recommendations. You always wanted to. We know some people did that. And we, we know some people just thought, you know what? I'm just going to throw FedEx or DHL. But again, for people who live in sort of remote areas, that even that's that's an effort. But, you know, as I'm sure you all heard, to voters' credit, there were people who were super motivated to vote, right? So they were like, you know what? Whatever this takes, I'm, I'm going to do it. Which, of course, is always super... Impressive and encouraging to hear, just knowing that you wish it could be a little easier, but the reality still isn't quite there yet.
0: As you're having these conversations, especially last year, like what kind of feedback are you getting from voters or do you hear from voters? Like, are they happy that they have the opportunity and so they just will do it no matter how much effort it takes? Are there people that you talk to and then they go, oh, yeah, that's too much effort. I don't have the time to do that. I'm not going to do it. Like, what, what is the general? I, there might not be a consensus either.
2: Anecdotally, I heard more of the former people who were going to make the effort. But of course, those are people who are often actively, were actively reaching out to me, right? So you already have someone. If they're actively reaching out to someone for assistance, I think you're already at a point where they're at least willing to take that step. It's the other folks maybe we didn't hear from, ever right who didn't know don't know what fvap is don't know much about military overseas voting that's challenging and you would you would hear from those people sometimes the day or before the election day or on election day right and again coming to a place where you you got people like so what do i do to need to vote right and, and trying to be like in some cases there are places where you know from overseas you can register to vote and cast about on election day not, not many but it's still possible of course in a lot of places it's it's not right um and that was always sort of a uh, a sad message to deliver. We always sort of said, you know, always reach out to your local election office. Uh, I always want, you know, that's the direction we're always going to point people to get the most accurate, up to date information. But there were some folks where I think it was challenging and frustrating. I think the other thing I heard was, which, you know, opens up a whole can of worms, but just from what I heard, is that the people who could not send their ballots back electronically would always ask, why can't I send my ballot back? You know, and again, FAP took no position. Uh, on that just made sure people knew here's where you could do it here's how you can do it because even how you can do it varies by state in many states it's attaching an email some states have remote ballot systems clearly there's people who have a lot of questions about uh, sending about electronically but i certainly heard from voters overseas who said i wish i could do this electronically like my friend did who's in this other state because they just want to do something to send it back um they may be thinking less about the security issues and more about this will just make me feel better about I can get my ballot back. Knowing that is a, a whole set of issues that's been discussed for decades and the DOD has studied, et cetera. But clearly, voter expectations for some are, are in a certain place. And I, we know having both, I know talking to election officials, they they deal with that directly, right? Those expectations that they hear from people, but can't necessarily meet for a variety of reasons, some of which may, very, may be very good, but it doesn't change the fact that some folks still have those expectations and those are voters you still have to deal with.
1: We haven't really talked much about actual voter registration, and that is also an issue for overseas voters. And I know something we deal with a lot in in Missouri, Missouri, like a number of states, has a state law that prohibits people who have never resided in the state from registering and voting. So, you know, what we run into sometimes I was just on the phone the other day with with a guy who lives overseas and he has now an adult child that has come of age, but has never resided in the United States. And so while he's registered to vote, um, his, his child could and I'm, I'm wondering how often you run into those situations and are there just as many questions about voter registration as there are ballot delivery and
2: return? Yes, especially in the sense of residency, voting residency, where, where should I be registering? Especially uh, often for military folks, right? Who, who will move a lot around the world it's trying to figure out where's your where's your voting residence. Where should you be actually registering to vote? And you're right. Yeah, I'd say that last I remember looking because FAP does have the info on their website about how many states in your case are like like Missouri. It's I think it's about a dozen where if you've not resided ever in that state, you cannot you you are not eligible to to cast a ballot. Other states do allow. I did hear it a few times. I not not a lot, but I, I definitely heard folks who've sort of accepted the fact if they've been here for years and they live in one of those states. You know, some of those folks reach out every every couple of years to their election official or to policymakers. Right? It's a policy decision. It's it's generally state law, which election officials just have to follow whatever the state law is. And it is it is a policy choice. So you do hear that a few times. But it's really the residency question I got a lot to for the registration process, especially folks new to if they it's their first experience overseas or if if it's someone who's moved three or four times. Or if it's someone who maybe was born in the state, but they left when they were five, right? What's my residency? Does it matter that we don't have a house there anymore? Right? All those questions, that real nitty-gritty, I would say that's what we got asked, that's what I got asked the most. And luckily, most, you know, in the in the FBAT voting assistance guide, which is based on state laws, there are generally good answers to those questions. Unless it gets really super complicated, we might tell someone to consult a lawyer, because it will get beyond, but usually there's a good answer to that question. But for some folks, it's really interesting if they're dual citizens, right? They've mostly lived in Italy, for example, but lived in the States for a couple of years and they were citizens and they voted there, right? It's an interesting, you get these these questions of residency and you get States, like, like you said, like Missouri, where that's, that's not gonna be an option, but even in States where it is, it's trying to figure out, all right, which state am I in? But luckily, I mean, to FAP's FF, credit, there's a lot of good information about that because they know that's one of the most frequently asked questions is, which to I me, mean, of course, is directly tied to registration. You have to know where, where you to both register and get your ballot. You know, a local election official needs to know you exist and what address to tie you to, right? To get you the right ballot.
1: I really think it would be fun sometime to compile. This would have been like a great article maybe for Election Line. Compile a list of, of, the, of the craziest places that former residents in the United States are still registered. Like we have, we have one guy, he lives overseas. I forget what country he's in. But because the last place he was registered here in the United States was in our county, his former house is under the airport runway now. And so um, I, I know there are examples all like that all over the all over the country. Well, oh, talking about this yes. made me think of that. And uh, we've, we've had a few of those situations over the years.
2: That's great. No, I, I love that, because, in fact, there's a story what every couple of years about crazy polling places and where the craziest polling places are. I sort of see that as an equivalent. Because you're exactly right. I mean, we tell people the house no longer has to physically exist. It can be, I heard that under a runway. That's, that's impressive. But I imagine we could find some other really interesting stories of where former residences uh, are. It would be a lot of fun, actually.
0: I feel like that's tricky because like, as we've been doing regular voter list maintenance and people get really mad because they say that the person doesn't live there anymore. And Mm. we're like, well, they did at one point. And yeah. then they start questioning why they're allowed to vote. And then we have to explain to domestic voters why it's OK that people that are overseas that don't live in their house can still be registered to vote at their house.
2: That's really interesting. I, I mean, I never thought about that end of it, right, where you're, of course, you're doing mailings, you know, checking on registration status. And it might be people who are no longer physically there, but it is still counted as a residence. Yeah. And I could see that being at the least confusing for people. And uh, then you could see a variety of reactions from people. So it's interesting. You get calls about that. You get people are, are coming back in touch with you saying, what's going on?
0: Yeah, well, and people think that, you know, we've made this egregious mistake or that somebody's trying to be fraudulent and mm-hmm. say that all these people live there. Because I think most of the time they're just seeing it tends to happen when we're doing mailings. And that's the time when sure. someone, oh, list maintenance is happening or something like that. So they're expecting some kind of election mail and then they get it for somebody else.
2: That could be a little bit confusing, like, but well, uh, well, we live here, right? Who, what's, what's going on? Interesting.
0: If you have like little concrete pieces of advice for local election administrators.
2: I would say, yeah, again, it's and I, and I know it's a challenging question of, of resources, but I, I know from my experience dealing with voters here, when they reach out to election officials and don't hear back or don't hear back for a while, I know that's frustrating. I, I don't know if there's a way to, you know, if, if it's a resource issue, it's going to be hard to get back to those people. Or as you noted, Eric, it may be beyond a resource issue. Maybe be other questions of, of either some technology constraints about getting back in touch. But I, I do know if there's, if there's ways, and I, I know some websites are great about providing a lot of information um, about military overseas voters, and that's clearly driven by folks who a lot of, who have a lot of that population in their counties, right? So, um, I think that's great because I think the first place people go is online, but I think making contact information available easily, I, I certainly know from experience of trying to help people find contact info for local election officials, that provides all that as well, but I know sometimes people go directly to, this is my county, I'm going to go here, finding that contact info can be hard, and it can also be hard, it like, is this for military overseas voters, and again, most places won't have a separate military overseas email address, but some do, if they're, if they're big enough. But just making it clear to people is like, if you have a question about military overseas voting, here's a phone number you can call and/or email you can reach out to. I know that's and easy to find on the website because I I know in some cases that was that was hard and it was more basically had that information because FAP had spoken with people, right? Having information instantly available, which where most people look initially, which is online, would be great. If the harder, right? I mean, trying to get back to a timely manner, easy for me to say. You know, I'm not the one on the other end. So I just, it's just managing that as, as best as possible, knowing that um, that involves time, money, and resources that, that local folks may not have.
1: All right, that was another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins. Big thanks to Sean Green for being our guest, talking about firsthand account of voting overseas. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you listen next time to High Turnout, Wide Margins.